Glory to Glory, the radio teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Join us now as Pastor Joe Pettig concludes his two-part message from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 3. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 18. It's an amazing thing, the Word of God. We're told that the word that we're reading right here is God-breathed. In other words, it's God's word. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. It's God breathed. It's, it's the very word of God. It's men that were inspired by the word of God to pen these things. They were ordinary men, but they were serving an extraordinary God. And they were inspired to write these words. So every once in a while, I like to, before we open up the word, I like to, you know, admonish and, and, and kind of bring us to that place to realize that this is a huge thing as we open up the word, you know, and we should, you know, it was funny this morning, we had a, a meeting, the pastor's meeting, you know, back in the, the youth room over here. And we were all just sitting there and, and uh, we're reading the word and, and stuff. And, and uh, as I was reading the word, it's like, I got struck again, just by reading the fact that this is God talking to us right now. And it kind of got, it struck me again, afresh and anew that, that what we're reading are not just simple words. These are God's words penned for us. And, you know, and I just got back in that place again to be in awe of it. And so I hope tonight, you know, we realize every word, every dot, every tittle, everything we're reading here, it's, it's from God. As we've been looking at the, the author of first Peter, uh, here is, uh, the apostle Peter, and he's writing to those that were persecuted for their faith. And as we looked at uh, in the first chapter, as we had the introduction of this, they were scattered throughout, uh, Turkey, our modern-day Turkey, or Asia Minor back then. And they were scattered because of their faith. So he's writing this letter to give them hope, to give them encouragement, and to give them instruction. So if you're going through anything difficult, if you're going through tough times, as you're maybe, you know, having some, you know, things going on in your life that are kind of uncomfortable or make you uncomfortable, you know, this is a great letter to read because it's a, it's a letter of hope. It's a letter of instruction and encouragement for those that are suffering. So with that in mind, again, let's pick up our story. First uh, Peter chapter three, we're going to pick it up again in verse 18. And the apostle Peter writes, for Christ also suffered once. For sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, Jesus, that he, Jesus, might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Holy Spirit or by the Spirit. Again, the Apostle Peter's writing to those that are suffering and all for doing good. You know, did you notice he said, for Christ also suffered. So he's writing to them saying, you know what? You're suffering. You're going through difficult times. Some of them are, you know, being you know, heavily persecuted or maybe, you know, threatened to be martyred. And some of their friends might've been martyred. So he's saying you're suffering, but guess what? There's one that's really suffered for you. And that's Jesus Christ. 
And that can help us, you know, as we think about the difficult times that we're going through, that no matter how difficult it is, we're not going through anything compared to what Jesus Christ went through. The just for the unjust. He knew no sin. He was sinless. But yet he was, you know, the way they, they treated him was brutal. As they beat him, they scourged him, they pulled the flesh off his back using the cat of nine tails, and they pulled the skin off of his back. Isaiah the prophet tells us he was beat so badly that he was unrecognizable as a man because his face was swollen, his body was swollen, he wasn't even recognized as a man. So I think the apostle Peter's saying, you know what? There's one that also suffered for you, Jesus Christ, the just So if you're discouraged, remember, you know, if you're suffering, there's an example for the one that suffered for you. But look at this again. There's so much in here in this, this verse here. It says, notice Christ suffered once for sin, meaning the event was a one time deal. We don't have to re crucify Jesus Christ. When you sin, we don't have to put him back up on the cross. We don't have to, Jesus Christ doesn't have to die anymore. And it tells us he's not going to come back and die anymore. He's not going to come back and suffer anymore. He suffered once for sin. Next time he returns to the earth, he's going to come as a conquering king. And that's going to be, I believe, very soon with all that's going on. But, you know, think through this. These are, a lot of these are Christian Jews also that he's writing to, but he's saying, you know, because they were used to a sacrifice, a daily sacrifice, but, you know, slaughtering a lamb every day because they continued to sin. But he's trying to say, no, 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 he, he died once for sin. You don't have to continue to, you know, he doesn't have to continue to go up on the cross. He doesn't have to come back another time to die. He, he died for your, your past sins, your present sin, and your future sin. Is that amazing? He died once for all. He died to take away the sins. God's wrath and God's righteous judgment was satisfied at the cross of Jesus Christ. Your penalty, my penalty, the wages of sin is death. And he, Jesus Christ, satisfied the penalty. And I want you to you know, think through this with me for a little bit. That if he satisfied the penalty... For your sins and mine sins. That means, you know, the Bible tells us we have a right standing as believers, a right standing before God. We're called righteous. And it's called the great exchange. How he, he took our place, the just for the unjust. He took the penalty for your sin. And then in return, he gives you his righteousness. Every time I talk about that or every time I think about that, I'm always amazed that our standing before God is righteous. And when we have a, a, you know, problems with guilt and problems with you know, shame of our, of our sin and why did I do that or why did I say that and how come this happened and, what did, you know, and we fall. We, the, the good thing is, is he died once for all. We, just, we, we realize, we go to the cross and, and remember that he died once to take away that sin and your penalty is taken care of at the cross of Calvary. Sometimes I think it's too good to be true. That all my sin that I've ever committed, past, present, and future, is taken care of. It's nailed to the cross. And the answer for a good conscience before man and before God, it's not what you did or what you did not do, but it's what Christ already did for you at the cross. And I was blown as I was you know, putting this together and I was pondering this. I'm like, Lord, is this real? My conscience can be cleansed. I can have a good conscience before God because of what Jesus Christ did. And that's, that's the word of God that tells us that we can have a good conscience before God because of what Jesus Christ did to the cross. And so 
as Christians, we should be the, the most joyful people in all the world. Because all we need to do is go to the cross. The just suffered for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. And I believe far too often Christians, you know, I, I see this happening a lot for, for Christians that have spent, you know, many years with the Lord. So all of a sudden they think that, you know, because they mess up and because they realize God is so holy, they, they start thinking that God's angry at me. God's upset at me. God doesn't love me anymore. I, I messed up too much or I, I failed or I didn't say this right or whatever I did. And it's like, God can never forgive me again. But the gospel truth is if you're born again, blood-bought saint of the living God, and, and he lives inside of you by his Holy Spirit, you have a right standing before him. He didn't even spare his own son for you. And his love never stops. We sang that song, you know, about love. You know, this is love and he's love. Our God is love. And I was like, yes, our God is love. He's love. Our God is love. And he loves us so much that he, he, when we go to the cross, he takes away the sin and it's forgiven, but then it's forgotten. And you can go forward with a good conscience, knowing that you're forgiven of everything you've ever done. It's gone. And that blows my mind. I heard uh, Ken Sutton on the radio last night. He was blessing me. You know, he was talking about the, about the righteousness of Christ. And then he says, you know, he had a raise of hands. He says, how many in the, you know, how many out there would raise their hand and say, you know, I'm as righteous as Billy Graham, you know? And, and then, you know, I don't even know. I wasn't there. I was listening on the radio. I was wondering how many hands went up, you know? And then he says, okay. And he says, well, how many of you believe that you're as righteous as Paul the apostle? And they're like, whoa, you know? And then I'm sure more hands might've went, less hands probably, probably went down. You know, I don't know about Paul the apostle. And then he says, how about this one? How many of you believe you're as righteous as Jesus Christ? And then by that point, he said, oh, I think they're getting it. That according to the Bible, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you have his righteousness imparted to you by faith. The righteousness of Christ is imparted to you by faith. It's added to your, it's imputed to your account. It's, a, it's, it's added to your account. It's like it's put in your bank account. In your spiritual bank account, it says righteous. So all of us here, if you're born again, you're a believer and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've repented of your sins. If, if I would ask how many of you are as righteous as Jesus Christ, all of our hands should go up and, they, and it's, it's almost embarrassing. It's like, as righteous as Jesus? I don't know if I can raise my hand to that. But you should be able to raise your hand with confidence because that's what the word of God tells us. I'm as righteous as Christ because of the blood that he shed for me and because he, the just, suffered for me, the unjust, reconciling me to God, that I can have a full relationship with God. I want to camp out in this verse all night. I don't want to stop. <laughs> Remember back in Numbers 21, Remember when the children of Israel were complaining against God and against Moses and they're complaining about the food. They even said, you know, we loathe this worthless bread. They were talking about the manna. They said, we hate this manna. We we're, you know, you're not taking care of us. You're bringing out, you're bringing us out in the wilderness to die. And they're complaining. Remember what the Lord did. Remember he sent the fiery serpents and the fiery serpents. They, they started biting the people. 
And they, they went to, I love it, because they were, they were dying because of the fiery serpents. They went to Moses. They said, Moses, we sinned against God. We've been complaining against you and against God. Forgive us. You know, help us. Talk, please intercede. Talk to God. Help us out. So remember, Moses went to God, and, and God says, you know what I want you to do? I want you to make a serpent, and I want you to make a bronze serpent and put him up on a pole, and I want you to put that pole in the midst of the people, and I want them to look at that serpent up on the pole, and anyone that looks at the serpent will live if they've been bitten by these deadly serpents. And so they looked at the serpent, and they lived. But I'm sure of it. I, some of them in the camp got bit, and they said, I'm not looking at no stupid pole. I'm not going to look at that. That doesn't make any sense. I'm, I'm going to live because, of there's a, because I'm going to look at that pole with a serpent on it. And if they didn't look, they died. Jesus Christ, if you recall, in John chapter 3, 13 says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And whoever believes in him should not perish, but it will have eternal life. And there's people today saying, I don't believe that. I don't believe that it, you know, he was hung on a cross for my sins. I don't believe that he'll take away my sin. And, and if they do that, they have guilt. They have shame. They have condemnation on their lives. But it's that simple. But again, for us, we have a good conscience. We look to, the, to Jesus that hung on the cross for our sins, and he, and he takes away the sins of the world. He takes our sin away. For again, let's read it again. For Christ also, verse 18, suffered once for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh, he was crucified, but made alive by the Spirit. He rose again on the third day. Verse 19, by whom also we, he, Jesus, went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. This is fun stuff, guys, isn't it? We're like, what is all this? He went and preached to the spirits in prison? Some say he, he went down into hell, you know, in, in prison, and he, he preached to the unbelievers so they would be saved. No way. That's not a good interpretation. That's not what I believe it says at all. But there's those that believe that, that he, you know, people get a second chance, and that's not true. You, you know, it's, it's, it's appointed once for man to die, and then the judgment. You don't get a second chance. So it's not for sure saying that. Remember, Jesus, after he died on the cross, we're told in Ephesians chapter 4 that he who ascended first descended, right, into the lower parts of the earth. He who ascended first descended into the lower parts of the earth, right? I believe. You know, in, in Luke chapter 16, remember the story of the Lazarus and the rich man? They both went into, you know, they both died. And remember, uh, Lazarus was there with Abraham in Abraham's bosom, a compartment called Abraham's bosom in the center of the earth, right? The rich man was there in Hades in the other compartment, remember? And he was suffering. The, the one was suffering. He, he, he told uh, Lazarus, he told Abraham, send Lazarus over here. I'm, I, I'm thirsty. You know, tell him to bring me some water. And he says, hey, he can't go over there. There's a gulf between us. And there, so we know there's two compartments in the center of the earth. 
And I believe when he, Jesus Christ, descended first, he, he went down to set captives free. He went down and he emptied Abraham's bosom over there, that, or also known as paradise. Is, remember, Jesus told the thief at the cross, today you shall be with me in paradise. Going down, he went down into the center of the earth. So it's believed that he went down and he took all the believers, the saints, before the resurrection. They were all in a holding tank and he ascended. He brought them out. Isn't that wonderful? Do you, can you imagine the party that took place during that? Luke chapter 16, if you want to read it later. But could you imagine being in that place? You know, it's a place of comfort, Abraham's bosom. But could you imagine like Jesus shows up like, dun, dun, dun. hey guys, just died on the cross for everybody. The wages of sin is death, but guess what? I never sinned. This place can't hold me down. And I'm coming to take you guys with me. We're going to heaven. And he emptied the place. But then the other compartment, a place called Hades, a place of torment. All the ones that rejected were not believers, the wicked ones. They were, they're in that compartment. They're still in that compartment today. But his spirits here, I believe he's talking about the demonic realm in the days of Noah. Genesis chapter 6, remember there was in the days of Noah, it says the angels, the sons of God, they, they, they married the, uh, the women and they had relations with them and they had giants and many believe and I, I personally believe that you know, the Nephilim came and so possibly these are the ones, they were incarcerated, they were brought down in a holding tank. Some say they were the most diabolical demons of the time. And think through it. You know, they, if this is true, you know, I believe it. But uh, if they intermarried, that means I believe what happened was they possessed men. They went inside the spirits. There was demon possession. And they possessed men. And these men married these women. And then with the, the, the day of Noah, they were wiped out. And these spirits, they went down into darkness. And I personally believe any, you know, there's different understandings of this. We don't know. We don't have enough scripture to back all this up, but I believe it's that he's basically when Jesus went down in the lower parts of the earth, he set the captives. He took those from Abraham's bosom, but then he put the other ones on warning and just told them that that he was victorious because it tells us that, that the powers and principalities were disarmed at the cross. And he basically told them, no more. That'll never happen again for the believers. You have no authority and no power over the believers. No demons do anymore. And he put them on warning, possibly. I can't wait to get the DVD or however we get to see this stuff and look back and see what happened. We know for sure Jesus went down. He descended into the lower parts of the earth. And some... Whatever the, the message was, he gave these demons or these spirits, which, which would be the demons in prison, those who were incarcerated. And we're also told in the book of Revelation that these, these demons were going to be set free during the time of, of tribulation. These demons are going to come out from this place. So he went down and he preached, possibly put him on warning and tell them that, hey, there's a game changer here. You were able to possess men. And demons were able to do that, but not for the believers anymore because they're all spirit filled and greater is he that's in them than he that's in the world. And no believer can be demon possessed. But I also believe the encouragement is for us that we are victorious over the demonic realm, which is so comforting. 
And I hope we all know that, that you, the demonic realm has no authority over us. The demonic realm works in deception and lies. And they can deceive, but they cannot possess. They cannot possess man that's a believer that's filled with the Holy Spirit. Light and darkness cannot coexist. So, so there he is. He's, he tells us he goes to those that uh, down into prison. He preaches to those that were during the days of Noah. Verse 21, there is also an antitype, which now saves us baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience. As we talked about that good conscience towards God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I love this stuff. I, I, I'm baffled at one thing. The writer of this is the, the apostle Peter, the fisherman. And I'm baffled that when I read this stuff, I'm like, this guy was, a, this was an uneducated man that wrote all this stuff. And he, he, his writings are some of the most profound writings. As you read this stuff, you have to keep reading like, what is this exactly? Okay, you know, what is he saying? And he's just, he's, he, he gives us some good deep stuff here. Baptism, is a, it's the anti-type, is now saves us. Some people take this. I mean, these are some heavy verses. Some people say, see, baptism saves you. If you're baptized, you're going to be saved. That's not true. But they call it baptismal regeneration, that you can be baptized and somehow the water is going to transform you when you go down into the water and, and you're going to be saved. No, you are not saved by baptism. And it says it's a type. It doesn't say that, you know, so this is a type. So baptism, the type, the, the symbol of, of baptism. The symbol of baptism is, is identifying, as it says, resurrection. We identify with the death of Jesus Christ when we go down into the water. We, we identify with his resurrection when we come up. So we identify with his death and burial as we go down. We identify with his resurrection when we come up. So I believe it, what it symbolizes is what saves us. His death and resurrection is what saves us. Not baptism itself. We are commanded to be baptized. If you have not been baptized as an adult, I would, I would you know, say that if you're a believer, you become born again, you should be baptized. Baptism, it says throughout the Bible, they were believed and were baptized. They believed and were baptized. You first become a believer and then you get baptized. Baptism is a public profession or a public demonstration. You, it, you go publicly out in the open. And someone even said that back then they didn't, back in these days, they didn't even have altar calls like we have today. Back in those days, you know, the, their profession of faith, once they became born again, they would go out to the water and make a public stand that I'm standing for Jesus Christ. And they would stand there and then they would be baptized. And at that time, again, they would identify with, as they go down into the water, his death and burial, as they come up out of the water, they identify with his resurrection. So again, if you haven't been baptized, I highly recommend you get baptized. You will not be saved by baptism. You're saved by Jesus Christ. It even says that. It, it says not the removal of the filth of the flesh. So in other words, the, the water is not going to clean your flesh up. It's not going to be the removal of the, it, it's not going to wash you in that type of a way to make you born again. I'll tell you, I'll never forget when my father-in-law was on his deathbed after he prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his savior. All they wanted was me to read the word of God. 
and I'd spend hours reading and reading. I know I've mentioned this part of the story, but there's more to it. But uh, I'd read the word and read him the word. And, and then, you know, I'd watch him fall asleep and I'd think, oh, I can get a little break. You know, we get some water, get something, to go to the restroom, something, you know, set the Bible down. And then I'd go sneak over, you know, next to the door. I'd go to open the door. He'd hear the door click and he'd say, Joe, read to me. I said, okay. And I'd go back down, you know, and start reading. And one of his favorite stories was John the Baptist. When John the Baptist was baptizing out in the wilderness. And I'd read him that story, and he'd say, read it again. And I'd read John the Baptist, and he'd say, read it again. Then the next day, I'd come in and say, what would you like me to read? He said, John the Baptist. And I'd read it to John the Baptist again. And, and finally, he says, baptize me. But the Holy Spirit was speaking to him that he needs to be baptized. It's become the throne of mercy. It's the sound of our it's the sound of our You have been listening to Glory to Glory with Pastor Joe Pettit, an outreach of Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. If you would like to enter into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, call now at 714-788-8221. That's 714-788-8221. We'd like to extend an invitation to visit us here at Calvary Chapel of the Harbor. Our address is 16450 Pacific Coast Highway in Huntington Beach, California, 92649. We're located in Peter's Landing Marina in Huntington Harbor. Our service times are Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. Now, may we continue to go to His throne of mercy as He changes us from glory to glory. As we come your throne of mercy it's the sound of our singing praise it's the sound of our